going to talk, and my title is Trust in the Middle of Prophetic Tension. So I'll explain more. Um, subtitle is What to Do in the Mystery. And so as I say, this is a quality assured road, uh, word. It's been road tested and uh, hopefully will do you some good. Um, we often feel challenged when our thoughts and feelings um, or our circumstances can shout so loudly and, and things just seem to clamor in. And it's even worse when that seems to be different to what God's promised. And today this prophetic tension is how we live in that place between what our current circumstances or feelings are shouting at us and what we know of God's promise, God's word, and what he said to us. How do we live between the now and the not yet, between the seen and the unseen, between today and tomorrow? So um, I often, I love stories, and I'm going to um, say this through a story. I'll get used to this. I'm just feeling so loud and boomy at the moment, but uh, I will get used to it, so stick with me. Um, but we do love stories, and uh, the Bible is full of some great stories. The thing with stories is you have to remember it's a story, and it needs you to use your imagination. I worry that sometimes we're a bit too literal, a bit too matter-of-fact, and the thing with stories is to let your imagination go and play, and I think that's what I've learned to do over the years and see what happens. So I'm going to talk to you through a story, and this is from the book of Judges. And the book of Judges, it's important to remember, first and foremost, it's a love story. When you see these battles and enemies and armies and, and some frankly odd characters, you know, it's important to realize that this is a love story. This is Father God reaching out to rebellious children and his many attempts to call us back to his blessing and intention. But they are random characters, they are odd, and that in itself actually reassures me that if God can use all these random characters, if God can use these people who, you know, you possibly wouldn't want as your best pal or your neighbor, um, if he can use them, then he can use us. And so that's quite reassuring that this diversity of gift and character, you know, it's not the person themselves that's the issue, the common denominator is that God's called them and God's spoken to them and that they've responded in that. So remember it's a love story. It sits not long after Joshua and the people have come into the promised land, but it's just after Joshua's died and then the elders who are with him have died. And it's before Israel demands a king. So it's that season where there's not yet had Saul and David and all of that. So it sits there between Joshua and Moses and between Saul and David. And it is this cycle of people forget God, God's protection is removed, God can't protect them because they're not listening to him. Um, foreign armies come in, they get really oppressed, really brought low, they cry out to God, he sends a judge, the judge delivers them, they have a period of stability and, and peace until the judge dies, they forget God, and so it goes on. Um, so we're going to pick one of these stories. And the other thing to remember about stories is that it's not set in 21st century UK. So there are words that they use which are not always familiar to us. And we've got great things now, you know, Mother Google, whatever you think about Google, you can just look up things and find out a bit of stuff. So we're going to hear words like Baal and Asherah, these are sort of foreign deities. We're going to hear words like Terebinth, it's a big tree, it's a bit like an oak, don't worry. Um, there's measures like an effer. What an, is an effer? <laughs> I 
an effort. <laughs> you weren't supposed to laugh that much. Um, an effort is about 22 liters, so a small rucksack. Um, an effort of flour weighs 9.3 kilograms, quite a lot. So we're going to read a story. Imagine, use your imagination. Just try and place yourself in the story. What would this be like if it was you, if it was your neighbor, if it was your best pal? Ask God to speak to you. All right, so without further ado, we're going to look at Judges 6 and turn to your Bible. And we're going to read about Gideon. And I'm going to just have a little section of this, which is still going to take a while to read. We're going to start Judges 6, verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why is all this happening to us? Where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Didn't the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he, that's Gideon, said to him, If I have now found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart until I come, bring out my present, and set it before you. And the angel said, I will stay until you return. So Gideon went to his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an effort of flour. The meat he put in a basket, the broth in a pot, and he brought them under the terebinth and presented them. The angel of God said, take the meat and the cakes and put them on the rock and pour the broth over them, and he did so. Then the angel of the Lord reached out with the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes. Fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes, and the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gideon perceived this was an angel of the Lord, and Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I've seen an angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you, do not fear, you shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there and <coughs> to the Lord and called it, The Lord is peace. And today it stands at Ophrah, which belongs to the Abiezrites. That night the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, Pull down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah that's beside it. Build an altar to the Lord on top of the stronghold there and the stones laid in due order. Take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you've cut down. So Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. When the men in the town rose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was broken down and the Asher beside it cut down. Second bull was offered on the altar that had been built. They said to one another, who's done this thing? And they searched and inquired and said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. The men of the town said to Joash, bring out your son that he may die, for he has broken the altar of Baal, cut down the Asherah beside it. But Joash said to those who stood against him, will you contend for Baal or will you save him? Whoever contends for him shall be put to death by morning. If he's a god, let him contend for himself, because his altar has been broken down. 
Therefore, on that day, Gideon was called Jerob Baal because that's, he said, let Baal contend with him He's, because he broke down his altar. Now the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east came together and they crossed the Jordan and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. He sounded the trumpet and the Abiezrites were called to follow him. He sent messages throughout all Manasseh and they too were called and Asher, Zebulun, Naphtali and they all went up to meet them. So the story goes on, and it's a, it's a great story, but we'll stick to that for now. So, as we said, it starts at this period of disobedience. God's removed his, oppression, his protection, and the foreign power has come to oppress them. And just remember, these were a people who not too many generations before were the conquering army. They had come in and invaded and actually displaced and, and you know, got rid of all these peoples. Um, but now they've lost their identity. They're hiding in caves and dens, and they're living in constant lack with their crops routinely destroyed. And it says, after seven years, sorry, the, the verse is just before that, um, seven years of this, and then they cry out to God. I'm not quite sure how many years of oppression you need before you cry out to God. In Judges, seven is actually quite short. Sometimes it's 20, sometimes it's 40, so it weren't too bright, but... They did eventually cry out, and God's response was to send a prophet. So the first thing God did is he wanted to tell them and remind them of how good he was, what he'd already done, and the, to help them understand. He didn't want them just to keep on, mess up, I'll rescue you, mess up. He wanted them to understand and realize there's a reason for this. Come on, you can do this. So the prophet came, and the trouble with the way our Bibles are written is, as you look just before our section, it says, you know, the prophet came, you've not obeyed my voice, full stop, end of line, the call of Gideon is a little title that the Bible writers and translators have put in there. But that's breaking up a story. It's actually a flow of story. The prophet was only part one of God's response. The angel coming to Gideon and then the Gideon's response was the next thing that God was, had put in place to rescue his people. So, verse 11, let's have a look through this story now. The angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah. And even that bit sort of encourages me. This is a real place. These big trees um, were actually landmarks. They were similar to oaks. They were long-lived trees. And they often were places of worship, places of gathering. Um, and so it was a recognizable place. He could have just said the angel appeared to Gideon. He didn't need to put it in the place, but he did. And that's because God turns up and he sends his angels in real-life situations to me and to you. And how often do we just limit God to turning up just on a Sunday morning? How often do we limit our expectations of God just to the obvious and the, and the sort, of, you know, sort of religious? Let's grow our imaginations and expect God to show up in many more encounters. And what did an angel sitting under a terebinth tree look like? Was he sort of huge and glowing, big sort of wings quivering? Um, or was he a bit more like a traveler? Who knows, it doesn't tell us. But I think we could expect to, to see God in more everyday situations than we're currently experiencing him. So this terebinth tree, as I say, these, these were often places of worship. And it, was, it encourages me again that Gideon, okay, was in a wine press, but he found a wine press near a place of worship. That's not a bad pattern to follow there, is it? Um, the wine press, it's... You're going to love this, Andy. There's so many treasures in here. Just, just, just keep listening. Um, the wine press was meant for pressing wine, not for threshing wheat. 
So clearly he was compromising. He was trying to do what he needed to do, which was threshing the wheat because they wanted to eat. They didn't have the luxury of having wine. But he was doing it in a situation of compromise. He was using an enclosed space which was hiding, but really for threshing wheat you need a big space so you can get the stick out and bash the wheat, get the husks and the wind blowing, get it all blowing. So a, a wine press might be good for hiding, but it's not great for threshing wheat. And you may find yourself in a situation of compromise. You may find yourself having to limit what you do or where you do it or how you do it. And you just find that you're finding yourself constrained by the situation around you, just limited in what you feel able to do, what you feel inside you to do, not really being the true you in that situation. But let's follow Gideon's example. He heard God, he saw God, he met God in that situation of compromise. And God led him out with great great victory. So, that was verse 11. Verse 12. The angel said, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. You'd love to hear that, wouldn't you? You'd sort of, that'd be a great thing. But look at verse 13. What's his response? If someone had said to me, O mighty man of valor, I would be struck and struggling actually on, on that bit. But Gideon, bless him, please my Lord, if the Lord is with us, he goes to the nub of the situation. Forget the mighty man of valor bit. Where is the Lord? What a great guy. Um, how can this be true? How can God with us be true when all of this is happening? I'm hiding in a wine press. The Midians are routinely trashing our crops. This is not the victorious people of God that he knew God had promised. And he was trying to reconcile his confusion between what was happening on the ground and what the angel was saying was true, how can these two things be true? And he'd already heard what God is saying, and even probably had heard the prophet that had come just a few verses before, and he was trying to struggle between the, the tension between these two realities, what God was saying and what he saw in front of him. And this is prophetic tension that we constantly need to live in the tension between what we see and what we believe, between what's here in front of us and what we know God's promised to do. Andy talked in March about our unlimited union with Jesus. And two weeks ago about the immeasurable greatness of the power towards us who believe, this power that raised Jesus from the dead. These things are true, but do they match how we feel? Do they match our situation? Do they match what we think is going on? And if my feelings are different, is that because my feelings are wrong, because my feelings are legal? Do I have to change how I feel to match what I've heard and what I believe is true? Or if my circumstances are different, does that make the truth of God suspect? If what I see doesn't match with what God's saying, perhaps I've misheard, perhaps God's making it up, perhaps there's something wrong there. And we get into these tangles because we try and decide which is right and which is wrong. When we see two things that look different, we're so used to being comfortable when we've got it sorted out. We're so used to actually finding our security because, oh yeah, I know what's going on. Actually, that is a pretty dangerous to, place to be. If you think you've got everything sorted, you probably don't know the whole thing. I think I'd suspect there that you haven't got that. But if we try not to decide which is right and which is wrong, try not to say it must be that or that, then we can hold two seemingly competing things together at the same time and find God's answer through that. And this is mystery. This is prophetic tension. This is the challenge that we face of holding two things that look different 
and holding them long enough till we see God do what God's planning to do. Jesus said the same thing. So in John 16, 33, Jesus said, in this world you'll have trouble. Cheery word, Jesus. But take heart, I have overcome the world. But how can these things both be true? How can you have trouble and yet say that looks like overcoming the world? Jesus slept in the boat during a storm. This was a storm so bad that experienced fishermen were crying out for their lives. They were both living in the same reality. That was a real storm. Jesus wasn't pretending there is no storm. It was a real storm. Not quite sure how he did it with the waves crashing and so impressive ability to sleep there. Um, But Jesus was aware of another reality. He was aware of his connection with Father God and he was aware of the authority that he carried. And that allowed him to hold the tension of these two situations. And so they woke him up, he stood up, he said, ye of little faith, he rebuked the storm, everything came into calm, it came into line with his authority. But he held that tension of those two realities. And so this is what we've got to be careful of. If we hold both different tensions to be true, then we do find God in that. If we try and deny our feelings or deny our circumstances, it just makes you odd, doesn't it? You just sort of, no, 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 there is no problem, you know, try and deny it. Because God said, you know, la, 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 you just, people don't know how to connect with you. You'll just be that oddball, the super spiritual so-and-so that people just give a body swerve to. And yet, if we deny, oh, they're there, we, we do. Um, if we deny the promises in Revelation, if we deny what God's shown us, then we will just be mere men. We will just be those who are without hope, drowning in disappointment in this world. And as we heard last week, we have to be able to hold both pain and disappointment and hope at the same time. But the challenge, as Andy said, is what do you keep closest to your heart? Do you keep the pain closest to your heart or the hope closest to your heart? Keeping hope close to your heart isn't ignoring pain, but you've got to make the priority of where you camp out, where you give most of your attention. So going back to what Jesus said, is it, in this world there'll be trouble, and maybe Jesus will rescue me? Or, there may be trouble, there is trouble, but Jesus has overcome the world. And both things are true. Where do you give the priority? So there you go. So going back to our verses here. These these verses that we're reading from at the moment, 12 to 18, it's conversation between the uh, angel and, and Gideon. It often strikes me that sometimes a prayer, conversations with God, can be as confusing as this, can't they? Um, you can look and say, you know, he's asking, Gideon's asking great questions. It doesn't look like the angel's actually answering it. <laughs> you know, and sometimes prayer can be like that, can't it? Sometimes you just think, did, not, did, did God not hear me? You know, what just, what just happened there? So verse 13, Gideon's asking great questions, very real, very relevant, very much based on what God was saying. But verse 14, if you look here, it says, and the Lord turned to him. Where was he before? What was he doing? Was he looking away? Was he sort of doodling in his pad or, you know? So the Lord turned to him. And I don't think he was ignoring him. He wasn't saying that those questions are wrong. But that turning, you can suddenly imagine an intense gaze, look at me. This is the main point. This is what I really want you to get. Um, So yes, there's no sense that it was the wrong thing to ask. But that not answering that question, God does this because sometimes it's the wrong question. Sometimes God does that because he's already answered the question. 
why, well, he sent the prophet who explained why. And that's another good principle for you. If you feel that you're not hearing God, maybe God has already spoken. So what was the last thing that God said to you? Go back to the last thing that you knew God said. Camp out there for a while. It may be that that is still God's word to you. So the angel answered Gideon's good question with, go in this might of yours, do I not send you? And this is the other part of what happens when praying and chatting with God. It often, well, it always reveals more about God, more about you, or more about the connection between you and God. And God was leading Gideon in a, in a revelation and understanding here. So the angel says, go in this might of yours. Gideon very reasonably asks, what might of mine? What do you talk about? I'm in the smallest clan and I'm the least in the family. So when he heard might, he was looking at himself. He was looking at his own strength, his natural resources, what he could perhaps pull together to meet this situation. But God was not telling him about how strong he was. God didn't actually deny the least in the family, the smallest clan. All of that's still true. God wasn't saying, no, you're not. No, you're a great guy. No, really, we'll, we'll get, you know, he didn't deny any of that. That may be the truth. It's just not the point. And through this encounter, Gideon realized that the answer to the need that he saw was not his own strength. But God was um, <clears throat> leading him to understand that the key point is, I send you. So in all of these verses, verse 12, the Lord is with you. Verse 14, do I not send you? Verse 16, I will be with you. This journey of revelation was helping Gideon realize that the answer to his soul was not that his physical strength or influence, but it was through this encounter with God that God was saying, I am with you, and that is the might that you will fight in. That is the might that will see through this situation. And we so struggle with this, don't we? That, you know, it, it's got to be me, there's got to be a bit of me, and, and there is a bit of you, it's not me little worm. There's, there's something in you, but it's not enough. And God went to great lengths through the rest of the story of Gideon. So Gideon did call, had 32,000 come, pretty impressive. God said it's too many, and he whittled it down to 300. And God really went to uh, great lengths to emphasize um, that, that was, it was not about numbers. We look at 1 Corinthians 1, verses 27 to 30. God chose the foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what's weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what's low, despised, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. And this is the mystery that we struggle to get hold of, but God's biggest message to us that God in us and us in him is everything. It trumps every circumstance, every enemy, every situation we could imagine. And God's revelation to us, his journey that he's drawing us into, is helping us grasp this point that the mystery of Christ in me is the answer to everything. And Gideon, I love this man so much, he got it. He didn't ask any more, didn't need any more, he got it. His response in first nine, uh, verse 19 was worship. He went and got a goat and some, um, some cakes to, to bring as a sacrifice. And, and what a sacrifice, actually, because Midian was just trashing everything. There were no crops. He was hiding in a wine press. I'm not quite sure how good the harvest was that year. But nonetheless, he went and prepared a goat and 9.3 kilograms of, of, of wheat flour. Um, so some size cake that would have been, 
Um, and that's quite a big offering, isn't it? And you know, I think I often wonder, you know, a little word there, prepared a young goat. Now, I've never prepared a young goat, but, you know, presume it's not a freezer, is it? It's not going to the fridge and saying it's not going down the butchers. You know, he had to, you know, do all that, kill it, you know, skin it, you know, prepare it, cook it, roast it, um, as well as making, you know, 9.3 kilograms of cake. Um, so it was probably a long time that he was working at this, wasn't it? Um, and the angel waited. Praise God for that. The angel wasn't put off by however long it took. And that really is the, the response to God speaking to us has got to start with worship, turning our hearts, turning our affections, our priorities to God is the best way to invite God into our circumstances. It's the best way to open up our hearts and see what it is. So Gideon still didn't know what God was meaning by all this. He still didn't know what it all meant. There's still a lot of mystery. So go in this might of yours, I am with you. Great stuff. What does it mean? Um, but his first response was worship. His first response was to turn his affections to God. And God, in his grace, accepted the offering. The angel patiently waited, put it on the rock, fire leapt out of the rock, angel disappeared. Um, and Gideon, who'd done so well to that point, suddenly became very frightened. And he became frightened for a very good reason. So he said, seeing you face to face, there's only the priest who's allowed to do that. Seeing God face to face was a death penalty. This was a, a bad scene. So he suddenly became frightened. And, and yet he turned to God and found peace. What do we do when spiritual activity doesn't look like we think it should? What do we do when we've done our best prayer, we've wrestled with God, we feel we've got some understanding of what God's saying, and then suddenly, boom, it all looks different. It's all a bit scary. It's all a bit new or different. Um, and that turning to God, that finding that place of peace, even there in, in God's response, um, God acknowledged his fear, didn't tell him off, but just spoke a word of peace to him. So, good man, Gideon. <clears throat> Let's read a few verses again, 25 to 27. That night the Lord said to him, take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, don't know whether seven years, that was how long Midian was oppressing them, pull down the altar of Baal that your father has, cut down the Asherah, build an altar um, with the stones laid in due order. There's a right way to do an altar for God. Take the second bull, offer it as a burnt offering for sin and the wood of Asherah that you've cut down, so clearly end of Asherah. Um, so that was a very clear word that God had said and Gideon's response again, good man that he is, was obedience. But he was honest as well. He felt fear, so he took 10 men of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town, he did it by night. Not a bad solution. Get some friends, do it at night, but do it anyway. That's a, a, good, a good top tip right there. So I'm going to try and bring this to, to an end here um, and just a few more points. The next verses um, are all about, oh, sorry, th there's a great section there, 28 to 32. Um, so your Joash, your son Gideon, the least in the family, has not only taken your bulls, he's killed one of them, chopped down some temple, um, some idols, and brought a whole load of trouble to your door, the whole town, calling for your death. But just Joash, what was his response? What a good man. He did not think about this, did not plan this, did not say, 
on you go, Gideon. You know, it was trouble at his door, but his response was to stand with his son, recognize the truth in the situation, and, and respond really well. So if he hadn't, there would be no Gideon, there would be no defeat of, of Midian. Um, so it's a good man, Joash. Verse 33, the Midianites and the Amalekites cross the Jordan. They invade once more back to the familiar oppression. And because of Gideon's obedience, verse 34, the spirit clothed Gideon. And he gets out a trumpet and calls. And who are the first people to follow him? The Abiezrites, the townspeople, the people who just a verse before were going to kill him. But they responded to the spirit of God that clothed him. And not only were they called out, but all of Manasseh and the, the other clans nearby, Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, the other, other, other tribes. And really what made the difference was the spirit of God on Gideon. It wasn't because Gideon was suddenly a superstar. He probably was still a bit, you know, you know pulled, down the, pulled down the altar, brought trouble to our door. But the spirit of God brought the difference into the whole situation, and they responded to that. So... Great story, great bit of a story. There's lots of ways you could take this story of Gideon. But we learn that he learned to live in this prophetic tension, connecting the reality of what God was saying to him with the reality that he saw all around him. And this prophetic tension is the challenge for us. It's a mystery we don't understand, but the point is, it's not about understanding. It's holding two things to be true. What we feel, what we see, what's happening around us, and what is God's, but the key is where do I place my focus? Where do I camp out and give my most attention to? Next point that we're emphasizing is God's promise is, was as true to Gideon as it is to us, I am with you. This might of yours, that the angel said, is the reality of Christ in us. Me and Christ, Christ in him, and everything flows from that and flows towards that. Our connection with God is the means of everything. And the more we grow in our understanding of that, the more we meditate on that and allow that to infill every part of our thinking and, and the acting, the more fruit we will see around us and the more blessing we'll live in the good of. And the third point just to emphasize here is the response to love is obedience. Gideon did so well at hearing what God said to him and responding in obedience. There are so many opportunities through the story we could have said, uh-uh, this is too much not going there, but he didn't. He responded out of obedience. And John 14, um, there's a verse there that says, if you love me, you'll obey me. And that's so easy to misunderstand in our rule-based culture. Do it and it'll be okay with you. No, it's not do it to be, to be loved. It's because of love, the only response is obedience. And this is our heart to do there. So I'm going to leave it there. I just thought that there's one main point, and, uh, and stick to it. I could go on all sorts of rabbit trails. Um, nearly did at a few points there. Um, but God with us in the midst of prophetic tension, that's what it's all about. So I'd like to pray, if that's okay. And I'd like to pray for a, a few types of people, if you like. Are you struggling with this prophetic tension? Are you struggling with what it is to hold between what God's promised and what you see? If you have, I'd like you to stand in a minute. Do you need to hear from God who he says you are? Have you lost sight of your own identity? Is it that you're no longer convinced that you are a child of God, that you are someone 
who is the object of God's affection? Or is it the other side of that, that you're not convinced of God with you? These words that you hear don't seem to match with the truth of who you are. Or do you feel in a situation of compromise? Is there something that you just feel these things have been so difficult for so long, I've just learned to squash myself, to squash myself down, to live in this compromising who I am, compromising what I do. Um, I'd like to pray for you. So if you're any of those things, would you like to stand to your feet, put a hand on your heart, and let's pray. Are you ready? Father God, we love you, and we are so, so grateful that you love us. God, you've done so much for us, and yet you've not stopped yet. You're leading us in the truth of who you are, who we are, and the reality of you in us. God, would you bring understanding? Would you bring revelation? For all of us here who stand confused, all of us who stand here unsure, all of us who stand here feeling that we've squashed a bit of something because we didn't know what to do, God, would you bring revelation? Would you meet us where we are without criticism, without condemnation, without any sense of telling us off? We can be honest with you knowing that you love us so much. And God, would you pour in your love? Would you speak so clearly? Would you give us clarity in knowing how we hold on to the tension of two opposite truths, how we live in a good place when things around don't seem great? And God, would you bring breakthrough? Through all of this story, there was a great breakthrough. That oppression, oppressing nation was routed and Israel lived in peace for many years. God, would you bring breakthrough into circumstances and situations? Every heart, every person, every family that's represented here and those not with us this weekend. God, would you bring great breakthrough? Bring your heart, your grace, your solution and the wisdom and breakthrough of heaven. Thank you, God. Amen. Amen.